0: As we look to the Word this morning, um, just continuing along the lines of, of what I've shared over the last few weeks about becoming fully mature. Last Sunday, I spoke about the dangers of potentially ignoring our hearts on this journey of growing more and more fully mature. The Bible gives a number of examples. We looked at one of them last week. Examples of folks who developed at least a modicum of spiritual maturity in their minds. And perhaps some spiritual maturity in their habits. Uh, In other words, they understood the truths of God and they followed the laws of God, but they failed to be transformed by the heart of God. And their immature hearts led them into pain and into sadness despite their godly knowledge and righteous actions. Now, I hope you're keeping track with me uh, well enough to understand that It's not my intention to take one facet of spiritual maturity and elevate it above the others. I've said many times, Becoming fully mature is is about engaging in multiple different aspects or facets of a spiritual maturity. It's not my intention to say any one of those is more important than the others. I'm not trying to say well we've talked about mature minds and we've talked about mature habits, but it really is all about mature hearts. I'm not trying to say that mature habits or mature minds are uh, without value. I'm trying to say, uh, not trying to say that these things are independent. In fact, really, this is all a little bit silly the way I'm putting it because you can't break it down into distinct facets. These things are working together, they are combining. There is synergy. And I was thinking about it this way this week. If if you inflate a balloon, let's say you have just a regular round party balloon and you're going to blow it up, and you go to inflate that balloon, as you're blowing into it, it grows in all dimensions simultaneously. Uh, you don't blow up a balloon and watch it stretch lengthwise first and, and then after that stretch in width and then after that stretch in depth. When you're blowing up a balloon, growth in each dimension supports and is supported by growth in every other dimension. And it's the same way with becoming fully mature. Uh, Growing and developing maturity in our minds supports and is supported by our growth in our hearts. And uh, growth in our hearts is supported by growth in our actions and vice versa and so on and so forth. All of these things are happening at the same time. Why? Because that's how we were designed, that's how we were created, to become fully mature. Unfortunately, one of the aspects of sin, one of the effects of sin, is that sometimes we try to stretch ourselves in one dimension, but we ignore the ways in which we might have constricted our own growth in another dimension. Uh, And I was thinking, maybe sometimes we look like a balloon that has a cord tied around it, and you try to inflate that balloon, but the more and more you inflate that balloon, the more and more misshapen it becomes, and eventually it bursts under the pressure, having never become what it was meant to be. I think that's a good picture of what it looks like when a follower of Jesus doesn't become fully mature. And that's why scripture is so very, very sobering in its warnings about becoming fully mature. Not just a little bit mature, not mature in this area, but not that area, but becoming fully mature. But let's remind ourselves this morning, not every word about maturity is a warning. I've preached a number of sermons in the last couple of weeks that are Well, they're a little bit more heavy handed than what I often preach because the Bible's very clear. We need to warn one another about these things, but not everything is a warning. For every caution against the negative, there's a blessing in the positive. Becoming fully mature isn't just about avoiding disaster, it's also about seeking benefits and and reaping rewards, and that's really more where I wanna be today as we continue to discuss having mature hearts I want to focus on the blessings associated with inviting our hearts along on the process of becoming fully mature. And in order to do that, I'm going to look at a few words that Jesus spoke in one of his most famous sermons. You can follow along, if you will. In Luke chapter 6, I'm going to read three verses, beginning with verse 43. Jesus says this, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Now, granted, Jesus doesn't directly reference maturity here. He never uses the word mature. But he's clearly highlighting the difference between what he's going to call a good heart and a bad heart or an evil heart. And I would argue that a good heart is, in fact, a mature heart. It's a heart that functions the way God intended it to function, and that's why Jesus would call it good. It's the heart of a human being that reflects the heart of God. Why? Because we were designed in his image. That phrase in his image, you may know, it harkens back to the very opening paragraphs of the Bible, a time where everything was exactly as God intended it to be. And that was the time when God looked at the various elements of his creation and he described those elements using exactly the same word that Jesus just used to describe mature hearts. He said, it is good. It is good which is to say it is complete, it is healthy, it is functioning exactly as it was designed to function. And so Jesus says this is what a good heart looks like. This is what a mature heart looks like. This is what it looks like when your heart functions the way God intended it to function. And of course, Jesus, just like us, he's not using the word heart to describe an internal organ. He's using it metaphorically. We're not talking about the aortic pump, pumping blood through our circulatory system here. We're talking about the essence of our character, our hearts. And character is an important component of spiritual maturity. Why? Because what's obvious on the outside reveals truth about the inside. I'm going to say that again. What's obvious on the outside reveals truth about the inside. That's what Jesus is talking about here when he says each tree is recognized, what, by the circles in the stump or in the trunk or by the root system? No, no, no. We recognize trees by their fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not good with plants. Uh, Do not give me a houseplant. It will not survive. This has been tested by data throughout the decades. I don't do well with plants. My dad was a wonderful gardener. And my brother has inherited that part of my dad's skill set. I have not. I don't do well with plants. And, And one of the reasons that I don't do well with plants is they all pretty much look the same to me. I'm not very good, they say, well, this this one needs more water, or this one needs more shade, or this one needs this kind of soil, and, and, and it's a plant, dirt, water, sun, what more could there be? You know, I don't know the difference between a fern and a ficus, and I don't mind telling you this morning, I've gotten to the point in my life where I just don't care either. I'm not entirely clear on what makes a weed different from a wildflower. One we pay to have removed and the other we pay to have put in, but they all look like green things with flowers on them to me. I'm not sure what the difference is. Uh, A few years ago, we had um, some neighbors across the street, retired age couple that had a a large uh, flower garden in their front yard and it had become overgrown with weeds. They asked us for some help in in getting it cleared out and weeded and so one evening Jessica and I went over there and uh, said we'll we'll help and we pulled the weeds but Mrs. Krause had to come out and and point, I mean literally plant by plant. I would grab it and say can I yank yank this? She would say yes and I'd yank it and then I'd it, can I yank this? No, don't touch that one. I'm sorry, they look exactly the same they look exactly the same I can't tell the difference I'm not good with plants but prepare yourselves to be impressed because for a guy who knows nothing about plants can't keep them alive can't even tell the difference I have this very very particular I think impressive skill I can tell the difference every time between an apple tree and a banana tree. (laughs) No questions asked. Not once have I ever mistaken an orange grove for a peach orchard. I always know the difference. When we go on mission trips to Haiti, the neighborhoods where we serve are filled with mango trees and coconut trees and every single time I can tell you the difference. I think I deserve a round of applause. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, hold, hold all of your uh, awe for just a moment because there's a kicker. I am going to give away my secret. For just five payments of $49.99, <laughs> you will get the online course. No, 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 this is my secret. Are you ready for this? Despite this incredible God-given ability that I have to distinguish tree from tree, never once have I done so by analyzing the DNA samples taken from the core of the tree trunk. I have never put a root cluster under a microscope and not once have I had to hire a botanist in order to determine the cellular structure of the bark. That's not how I do what I do. (laughs) All I do is examine the fruit. There you go. Free of charge. Free of charge. All I do is examine the fruit. Turns out you can tell a lot about a living thing based on what it produces. Let's have a little quiz. If it's got apples on it, it must be a tree. You're doing good so far. I'm going to throw you a curveball here though. If it's got peaches on it, it must be a Pretty good, pretty good. Okay, this is the hardest one. This is like graduate level stuff. If it's got grapes on it, it must be a. Oh, okay, yeah. Kim fails. She said grape tree. But the rest of you, you get your certificates. You'll have them at the door just as soon as your credit card statement's clear. Where was I? Oh, here it is. You can tell a lot about something based on what it produces. Now, let's let's take a time out here because I do believe it's true, the old adage that you can't always judge a book by its cover appearances can be misleading and I think the Bible actually backs that up pretty well think about the story of King David the greatest king of all of Israel but when we first meet him the Bible says he was the runt of the litter nobody who saw him ever thought he would amount to anything based on appearances think about uh, just the days and the times when Jesus lived if you were looking for someone that might be the most religious if you were looking for the folks that you might think would be the holiest you'd probably notice the Pharisees first, because by outward appearances, they looked the part. But Jesus said about some of them, and I'm quoting Jesus here, he said, you're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. That's not good. Think about Jesus himself, who according to the ancient prophet had, quote, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So can you always judge a book by its cover? No. Are appearances deceiving? Yes, of course. But look, there's a difference. There's a difference between judging something based on its appearance and understanding its nature based on what it tends to produce. There's a difference between those two things. Judging based on an appearance is foolish and it's contrary to God's instructions but recognizing that the fruit something produces reveals deep truths about its true nature, well, that's different, and that's actually a wise practice that the Bible encourages us to learn. Why? Because it just plain works. I heard a preacher once say, folks will say, oh, who are you to judge me? Who are you to judge me? Who are you to judge me? And I told them, I'm not your judge, but I am your fruit inspector. You can tell a lot about someone based on the fruit that their life produces. And there's a reason for that, a logical reason. So much of Scripture is incredibly logical. The logical reason is this. Our hearts always overflow. Did you know that? Our hearts always overflow. They're never not overflowing i remember going to a reception one time have you ever gone to a dessert reception and seen a chocolate fountain yeah i saw one years ago i think they've kind of gone away in the post-covid world you know this idea that there's there's a fountain but instead of water cascading down there's there's chocolate cascading down and you take a little piece of cake or a little cookie or a little fruit on a toothpick and and you just kind of dip it in there and you've got chocolate. You could put a little on it or you could put a lot. Or if you're a junior hire, you could just kind of stick your head in there and get the whole thing. Right? I think this isn't really kosher in a post-pandemic world. I had suggested to our anniversary team, wouldn't that be cool to have a chocolate fountain at our, our re- uh, anniversary reception that we had last month? And uh, they kind of looked around and they're like, yeah, that's, that's not a good idea. <laughs> okay, no chocolate fountain. I remember the first time I saw a chocolate fountain. I was pretty impressed because while I'm not good with plants, I am good with chocolate. <laughs> I'm very discerning when it comes to chocolate. I went to a, another reception a few years ago and I walked in and they, they had a chocolate fountain and on the table around it were cookies and cakes and little things that you might want to put on a toothpick and, and dip into the chocolate. And then in the opposite corner of the same reception hall, I saw another fountain, but it wasn't overflowing with chocolate. Something white was coming out of it and I, oh, this is different. And I went over there and there was white frosting and they had again little like shortbread cookies that you could dip in in the white Ooh. Ooh, and then on the other corner, I saw another fountain with something and did they double up on the white frosting? No, there were vegetables on the table. Ranch dressing. There was a ranch dressing fountain, and then I looked in the fourth corner of this room and behold, yay verily, there was what I feel is the ultimate purpose of any fountain, really the end all and be all of fountain technology. It was a cheese (laughs) fountain. They had little cocktail weenies, and they had little nacho chips, and there was just cheese bubbling over and over and over. It was was gorgeous. Um, And I am proud to tell you that this reception lasted for three hours, and not a single person was taken to the hospital. It was really, really quite impressive. Uh, but I bring this up because if you looked at that and you thought that what you were looking at was some sort of um, fondue pot or, or pan or, or, or bowl or, or dish like that, you would say, it's leaking, it's broken, the stuff is spilling out all over the place, something's gone terribly wrong, but... Nothing's gone wrong because it's not a pot. It's not a pan. It's not a dish, it's, it's a fountain. It's designed to overflow. That's the whole point. It's overflowing because that's how it's designed to work. And so you didn't need a sign at the reception I was at to say this one has chocolate in it and this one has cheese in it. It was obvious. It was apparent you could tell what was on the inside of the fountain based on what naturally came flowing out of the fountain. I don't really need to tell you anymore about this because you all know how fountains work, but I'm just trying to point out the obvious. They show what's on the inside based on observing what it produces. And that's how our hearts were made. They weren't designed to hold things in. They were designed to overflow. When things ooze out of our hearts, It's not because our hearts are leaking and they need to be fixed. It's because that's exactly how God designed them to work. Whatever's on the inside of your heart will come bubbling out. Now, when we hear somebody say, my heart is overflowing. Uh, we tend to assume they're talking about something good, right? What do our hearts overflow with? They overflow with joy and and with love and with thanksgiving. To our ears, an overflowing heart sounds like the kind of thing that that only happens when we're overwhelmed with positivity and and warmth and goodness. Ah, my heart just overflows. But the Bible doesn't limit the overflowing of our hearts to just good things, the Bible says that our hearts were designed to overflow with whatever we fill them with. Nacho cheese, ranch dressing, white cake frosting, anything else you can think of. If our hearts are filled with goodness, then our hearts are going to overflow with goodness. If they're filled with evil, Jesus says, well, then they're still going to overflow. They're just going to overflow with evil. And I would suggest that it's not just goodness or evil. Sometimes we go through long seasons of our lives that make our hearts feel as if they've dried out, like they've hardened. We might even use language like this, my heart is empty, because that's the way it feels. Maybe we feel numb or we feel cold or we feel wiped out. What do our hearts do then? I mean, might feel like your heart is doing nothing, but according to Jesus, even then, your heart's going to overflow because that's how it was designed. Fill a heart with bitterness, and that life will bear the fruit of bitterness. Fill a heart with apathy, and that life will bear the fruit of apathy. Fill a heart with pain, and that life will bear the fruit of pain. We even have a saying for that, don't we? Hurt people hurt people. People who have been hurt have a tendency to hurt other people. Hurt people hurt people. That's just a way of describing what Jesus is saying here. Fill a heart with pain and that life is going to bear the fruit of pain. It might feel like these kinds of emotions dry our hearts out and shut them down, but that's not what's actually happening. Our hearts are always overflowing. We can't afford to buy into the lie that we have the ability to somehow shut our hearts down. They are fountains, and they always function in the on position. They are continually overflowing with whatever we filled them with. Now, of course, None of us can control the circumstances of our lives. You can't really determine what things happen to you or what things happen around, around you. Each of us is going to experience pain, betrayal, disappointment, and a whole host of other negative, evil experiences. And the truth is, At least by my observation, some of us experience more of that than others. We simply can't control that. But here's the good news today. According to the Bible, we can control what we fill our hearts with. Not everything that happens to us is something that needs to be stored up in our hearts. And that's why the book of Proverbs, for instance, tells each of us to guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Way in the Old Testament there, this idea that you have to be careful about what you store up in your heart because it will overflow into every area of your life. And guarding our hearts, I think, is an important part of helping them to mature. That's why the Apostle Paul told the believers in Philippi that the peace of God which transcends all understanding will do what? Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus so whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about these things put these things in your heart because your heart will overflow all of this reminds me perhaps more than any other biblical character of Mary the mother of Jesus When she found out she was pregnant, there were a lot of very, very negative experiences. She was afraid, she was worried. Her relationship with her fiance appeared to have come to an end. Her life was unraveling. We can, I think, very well infer that she was ridiculed, that she was ostracized by many in her hometown, some of her oldest friends, perhaps. But what did she do? She guarded her heart from all of those things. In fact, it wasn't until after the visit from the shepherds that we read that Mary saw them worshiping. She saw them rejoicing. And the Bible says, Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them where? In her heart. She said, that's what I'm gonna fill my my heart with. I have gone through, could we just say the ringer? I don't feel like that's a good enough word, but it's about the best I could come up with on short notice. She had gone through the ringer, and she said, I'm not gonna fill my heart with that. I'm going to trust God for his hope in guarding my heart. But when she saw and heard the shepherds rejoicing, when she heard them praising, when she saw them worshiping that baby, when she thought of the words that the angel said, when she said, God is here and God is in this, she said, that's what I'm going to put in my heart. And that's what my heart is going to overflow with. And that's really the essence of why all of this talk about the maturing of our hearts is good news for God's people. Because the matter of uh, the fact of the matter is this, a mature heart will overflow with the things of God. A mature heart will overflow overflow with the things of God. Jesus put it this way. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. That heart is going to overflow. And if a mature heart is a heart that looks like God's heart, if it reflects the very heart of Jesus, well, then a mature heart is going to overflow with those things. It's gonna overflow with the things of God. Remember that definition of a mature heart. I just wanna make sure we, we stay focused on this. A mature heart is a heart that wants what Jesus wants. It's a heart that loves what Jesus loves and it does it the way that Jesus loves it. A mature heart is a godly heart because it's a reflection of Jesus himself. And if a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, well, then certainly a godly man will bring godly things out of the godliness stored up in his mature heart. When discussing the kinds of things that are produced by a heart that has has matured, a heart that has stored up godliness, the Apostle Paul taught us this. He said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. In other words, there's nothing that can come against those things. There's nothing that can invalidate the fruit of a godly heart. There is nothing on earth that can stop a mature heart from overflowing with love. There is no disappointment that can inhibit a mature heart from oozing with joy. There is no challenge that can preclude a mature heart from dripping with peace. There is no evil that can hinder a mature heart from emanating kindness. And there is no attack that can force a mature heart to abandon gentleness the simple fact of the matter is that the heart of Jesus is more powerful than my bad childhood, than my poor finances, than my stupid boss, than my messy divorce, than my bad attitude, than my addiction, or even than my Irish temper. The heart of Jesus is more powerful than all of those things. And if I allow my heart to be shaped by his through the process of growing more fully mature, his strength in me will cause me to overcome all of those things, all of those things and more. I'm going to ask Carmen and his team to come back up to the stage as I say a couple of concluding words here. These are the reasons why every follower of Jesus would do well to live into the blessings that await those who cultivate mature hearts. This is the kind of heart that reflects the heart of Jesus himself. We say the fruit of the tree, right? A good tree produces good fruit. We can identify it based on, on what it produces. And Paul says, well, there's a fruit that comes from taking root in the Holy Spirit. There's a fruit that is produced in our lives when we take root and grow into maturity in the very essence of God's nature. There's a fruit that will be produced in your life as your heart matures in Him. Say, in in the flesh, in the natural, my life is doesn't always produce good fruit produces anger it produces envy it produces lustfulness it produces pride it produces all of these other sorts of things and the word of god is inviting us into a different way saying there's a maturity of heart that comes out of the rootedness in the nature of god looks like love it looks like joy it looks like peace and so on and so on and so on I want you to hear me well is is this a promise that's saying well if you just pay more attention to God then everything that ever happens to you is gonna be joy-filled? is that what the Word of God is saying here please say no please say no But I think the Word of God is saying, if you're careful about where your heart is rooted, it's going to produce a fruit that matches that. And that's where we want to be. it's our prayer this morning that you would help us to be a people who would cultivate mature hearts. Hearts that look like yours. Hearts that produce fruit as yours does. Because they are in fact hearts that are rooted in the very heart of Jesus. Lord, what good would it be? Of what use would we be if we knew everything there was to know about your word and followed every single rule we could find in scripture and yet our hearts did not reflect the goodness of God. We would be that salt that has lost its saltiness and is useful for nothing other than to be tossed out and trampled. Lord, we wanna be fully mature. And not just because we're afraid of the alternative, but Lord, because we see that you have you, you have created a better way. And Lord, we desire that. We desire that. What would it look like, God, if, if we fostered such hearts of, of godliness and Christ-like maturity, such that when the obstacles and the challenges and the threats and the attacks of this world came our direction, our quite natural response, the fruit of our lives was peace and gentleness and self-control. Lord Jesus, I would rather live that way. I would rather live that way My prayer for myself and for my brothers and sisters today, Lord, is not merely a prayer because I've read the scripture and it seems like that's the kind of thing we ought to be praying for. Lord, it's a prayer. I'm tired of the old way. I would rather live that other way. I want it. God, would 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 you fill us where we're hungry? Would you refresh us where we're thirsty? And would you hear our prayers today? Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that there is this other way. We confess our, our brokenness and our, uh, our unwillingness sometimes to set our own agenda aside and live instead as you have intended. God, would you, by the power of your spirit, Renew and refresh us this morning. Lord, may the fountains of our lives, may our hearts overflow with good, good things. Would you even in this moment purge our hearts of the evil that we too often have been prone to hide away and store away? Lord, would you purge them of those things instead that we might overflow with the goodness of God? And Lord, remind us as we grow fully mature, that that will require the discipline that we've already talked about. That will require the knowledge and the understanding that we've already talked about, because these things are all working together. Lord, remind us daily of those things. We want to be vessels of yours. And so, Lord, whatever particular issue might be on the mind of anyone in my hearing in this moment, whatever clog there is in the fountain, whatever issue there is in the pump, whatever problem there might be, whatever obstacle we might foresee, would you just in this final moment show us that by the power of your Holy Spirit that is being wiped away. That is being wiped away. That the blood of Jesus covers all. The power of the Spirit overcomes all and the love of the Father encompasses all Lord would you show that to us right now that from this moment forward we would guard our hearts that we would be very very discerning and wise about what we choose to fill them with and then Lord that you would give us the grace to just stand back and let our hearts function as you created them to function to overflow to overflow, to overflow. Do it for us today, we ask today, in your power and in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, amen. Amen. Amen.